This episode is brought to you by Thorn, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorn is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. I myself have used them for several years, and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, Go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, for a one-time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back onto the show, athlete, author, and founder of Spartan, Joe DeSena. Now, Joe recently moved the headquarters of Spartan to here in Central Florida in Orlando, so I was actually able to go down to his HQ and do the second conversation face-to-face. So we discuss a host of topics, from the immense impact that COVID had not only on the Spartan business, but the impetus of so many athletes that participated, how we motivate people to get back outside into communities and running these incredible races again, using Spartan races as recruitment for police, fire, and the military, Operation Enduring Warrior, 50 for the Fallen, forging fitter and healthier youth internationally, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 750 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Joe DeSena. Enjoy. Joe, I want to start by saying, firstly, thank you for coming on again. You came on on uh, episode 234, so that would make it about four years ago now. Wow. So you were still up in Vermont at that point, I believe. Um, And secondly, now you're down in Central Florida in Orlando, so thank you for welcoming me to your HQ. Thanks for coming over. I'm I'm happy to be face-to-face. We must have did 
a Zoom four years ago? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So actually before, because we've we got some pretty interesting things we want to talk about when it comes to Spartan and the first responder community, things that I organically believe 100%. But before we do, when we recorded must have been not too long before COVID. So one of the things, one of the, the, the truths I think that got ignored was regardless of your stance on masks and vaccines and other stuff, the underlying health of the human being conversation was largely ignored and i've talked about this a lot what people were told to do in my opinion was the opposite of what was needed so they shut parks beaches gyms you know they uh they stopped families and friends from being together and then you get alcohol and fast food delivered to your house so that's kind of my perception obviously spartan is one of the things that was involved in community outdoors nature fresh air tribalism so what was your covid experience through the spartan lens and through your lens specifically well my personal lens was we immediately went to the farm and um and we lived on the farm in Vermont. So, you know, I feel guilty saying our life improved. Um, I did not uh, buy into it. I, you know, no matter what you think, I'm sure 50% of your listeners are going to want to choke me. But, um, but I went to every wrestling tournament that was open for the kids. Uh, we played soccer. We climbed the mountain every day. I purposely didn't wash my hands for I don't know how many years. Um, I just, my feeling was I'm going to continue to live my life because I don't know if I have another day to live or, you know, a hundred years to live. So I'm just going to stay in the game. And what an opportunity to potentially leapfrog folks. Um, So I feel guilty about that because we had a great, we had an absolute great time. Uh, the shame of it for me is very much like your own perspective, which is, um, you know, I used to clean swimming pools, God, from like my preteens through my mid-20s, so over, over 11, 12 years. And I had 700 swimming pools that I cleaned. I had customers uh, all across from Brooklyn, all across Long Island. And sitting there and cleaning those pools, you have a lot of time to think, and I was very interested in the human body. I was very interested in being fit myself. And I always thought, wow, the human body is very much like a swimming pool. It has a pump and a filter, multiple filters. It's mostly water. And, and then I thought, what makes a pool dirty? Well, if I shut the pump off, right? If I don't run around and get my heart racing, that's a, a pump in the human body. If I um, load it with leaves... And garbage, I mean, imagine a 20,000-gallon pool if I threw hamburgers and ketchup and coffee and sugary, you know, candies in the pool, the pool would quickly turn green, Um, especially if the pump was off, if I didn't clean it. And so um, very simplistic, you know, analogy to human body, but, but here we were during the pandemic and we had shut all the pumps off for the whole country, for the whole world. We shut the pumps off. And, and I remember in the town that we lived in in Massachusetts, three hours from the farm of Vermont, a few days before we left, um, as things were getting shut down, the local liquor store said sales were through the roof. And I thought, oh, my God, not only did we shut the pump off, not only are we like now we're loading our bodies with garbage and um, more garbage than we had the day before the country was shut down. So um, 
I was furious because I think it was the one opportunity in your life and my lifetime where uh, the government could have stepped in and actually corralled us to do the healthy thing. But instead, we did the unhealthy thing. I didn't. My family didn't. But but 99% of the world did. And um, and that's a shame. And I don't know. I don't know how we undo it. Um, I do have some hope for America because um, what I do see in my in my short life so far on the planet and in the United States is that we do tend to swing from side to side and and we go too far. And so I'm hoping we swing back. I'm hoping somebody wakes up or a bunch of somebody's wake up because I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone and say, um, this is ridiculous. Like, it's so easy. Let's, let's start taxing the hell out of sugary drinks and sugar, right? If we, if we really want our freedom and we should be able to eat and smoke and drink and do all those things that somehow we're hanging on to, let's tax the hell out of it so we can motivate people in the right direction. Let's give um, all kinds of great credits through uh, insurance premiums for those that then go to gyms and stay healthy. And, and so you could, you could motivate people with money. And I'm just hoping that the pendulum swings in that direction here in the next decade because, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's so obvious. You can't have a healthy country unless you have healthy citizens. And, and uh, just take, take a drive to any Walmart anywhere and let me know if we have healthy citizens. Um, don't even look at the data. Just take a, take a ride to any Walmart anywhere. So I had a guest on the show, Dan Bornstein, and his specialty really is our preparedness, especially in the military, so the, the security of the nation. And one of the biggest concerns at the moment is obesity and our military and the pool that we can pull off. And obviously that extends to the first responder profession as well. And I think that's the conversation that people don't understand is, you know, oh, it's, it's, it's my choice to eat what I want. It's my choice to do, you know, what I do. And I think people forget your choices are driven by your environment. You know, if you grow up in Manhattan or, you know, somewhere super urban and on the corner are liquor stores or, you know, and there's no parks, you're going to be driven towards a poorer lifestyle. But when you look at the the security of a nation, I don't know if you, if this is happening on you, but I don't have the news, but my Instagram now is full of people saying China's posturing here and Russia's posturing there. When you go to that Walmart, just for a second, say you're a domestic terrorist or, you know, even a spy thinking about invading this country. What about a deterrent element? If you've got 70% of the country that's, that's obese or overweight, how much of a deterrent is that? How much when we're called to arms like we were in World War II, how many people would actually be able to protect this country as well? And that's so easy to wipe out our country. So easy, right? If you have a long-term mindset, if you were running... Um, a country that, if you were managing a country, president of a country, leading a country that was at war with us and had a really long-term view on it, um, all you'd have to do to wipe out the country is make sure that everybody drank sugary drinks all day, every day. Make sure everybody ate shit food all day, every day. Make sure everybody was inactive all day, every day. And, you know, if you had a long-term view, um, like, that country doesn't have a chance, um, the problem with us is um, it's like that boiling frog analogy. We don't notice it. I lived in Japan. I lived in Singapore. I lived in Vancouver. And so I, I had a different perspective. And every time I flew into any, any city, anywhere in the U.S., 
the initial shock of the size of the people coming out of Japan, coming out of Singapore, coming out of Vancouver with my family was, oh my God, everybody's a lot wider here. So, so we don't, we don't, if we stay on this trajectory, we don't have a chance. Now, maybe you'd know better than me, but maybe if wars are fought, a fort in the future with drones and, but, but even then for you to be alert for 15, 18 hours in front of a screen, you're going to have a better chance if, if you're healthy. So, um, but maybe AI, maybe AI will take care of it. Maybe everybody could stay in front of Netflix, right? Eat popcorn, eat shit food, sleep in in the mornings, not go to work because people don't go to work anymore. Um, and AI will take care of it. So talk to me about Spartan itself. I believe that I was on certainly the first in Florida, if not the first in the States of the races that opened up. There was with a few, I think Earl was one of them, the OEW guys. Um, but it was one of the ones in Florida, but I think that was the first event that you opened since. So what impact did that closure have on a very, very positive health element, i.e. Spartan race? And how long did it take you guys to be able to start opening up again? I mean, listen, we got shut down, never um, experienced this before. We got shut down in 45 countries. We went from putting on 350 events to putting on zero events. We had sold $45 million worth of tickets to races that we couldn't put on. So now we owed people that money. Um, it was a disaster. It is an absolute miracle that we are still alive and kicking as a company. And it, it, it's a testament uh, to our, our vendors that worked with us. It's a testament to our employees that hung in there, uh, a testament to our customers who didn't lynch us, right? And so, um, I mean, I joke all the time with the team. I say Silicon Valley Bank didn't make it 36 hours. We've made it 36 months, right? Credit Suisse First Boston, a very storied bank from Switzerland, couldn't make it 36 hours. We've made it 36 months. So um, a real shit show um, for us and a real shame for, for those human beings that, um, that depended on us to, to, to keep them healthy. When I showed up in Jacksonville, that race you're talking about, when we came back, um, I was walking in the festival area and a woman came over to me and just collapsed and started crying. I got it on film. She just started crying. I didn't know why she was crying. And she was just so happy to be back. Imagine being in your house. Imagine being locked in your house and not seeing people. Now, again, I was, I was lucky. My family was lucky. We just, we stayed in the mix. We were around people every day. We were outside. We were getting sunlight. Um, we were sweating. We were working hard, but other people weren't. So when they were able to come out to that event in Jacksonville... They, uh, they got quite emotional. Um, we're almost fully back. Canada is just coming back. Some places have been slower than others. Some were faster. Places like Florida were faster. Um, we've got a massive um, situation behind us of scorched earth because of what, you know, us being shut down. But, um, but it is amazing. Um, it, it goes to show you, you know, years ago, 2015, Folks would say, well, is this a fad? Is people wanting to go outside and do hard things together a fad? And, um, and I think we've proven now, because we're back, that it's clearly not. Well, I want to pose something to you, and I did ask you this in the first conversation. It's not like I have an amazing memory. I just listened to it again this morning. Um, but one thing I want to underline with what you've done, and I didn't expand on the story last time. I used to love doing Spartans, and I used to do Tough Mudders before you guys bought them as well. What I saw 
from the inception with the Spartan is this alignment with a lot of, you know, nonprofits, good causes. So the Give Team and OEW and, and some of these other ones that you align with. My personal experience with Tough Mudder prior, even though its origins are actually British, um, I had a friend of mine who I got hired with in my last fire department who died of an overdose, you know, one of the many mental health, you know, symptoms that we have. And a friend of mine was already registered with the Tough Mudder. She hurt her knee. And so we went to them and said, look, can we just switch names? That's it. It's already paid. Just change our names. I'm going to run for Brian in, in memory of him. And I got told no. Won't even switch a name. No money involved, nothing. Con- you know, conversely, I run with the Give Team. I run, uh, I had Monty on the show, 96. He just ran again a few weeks ago. Um, you know, Operation Enduring Warrior. And I, what I see is you guys constantly supporting these nonprofits. And now you own Tough Mudder as well. So now the race that I love is actually under your umbrella too. So I asked you this prior, but I'd love to just expand on it. Talk to me about that altruistic arm the social business model i think is really the business model of the future you can make money absolutely but when people see that you're doing good with some of that as well i think that's what the business world needs these days well it's funny right because there are a corporations there's b corporations right where they where they tend and then i, I let's call it a c corporation or, or d like we've basically been a nonprofit since our inception right because it's so hard to make money with this damn business but um but my view on it, because I've been around it for 23 years in some form or fashion, um, I'm not worried about helping people out. Like, I think, like you said, I, it, it comes back to you. I've seen it come back to you. At the end of the day, what drives me personally and then the people that come work for us must be driven by the same thing. Otherwise, they wouldn't work here is we just want to change lives. Like, we wish we could calculate our P&L at the end of the day on number of lives changed um, you know, I wish the government, if the government was wasting money on all kinds of things, you choose what you don't like. I wish they wasted some money on us and said, Hey, you're changing lives. You're doing a good thing. Let us support you. And I guess they do in a way, right? We've got a lot of deals with the army and the Marines and the air force. So we do get funding from, from the government, which is nice. Um, so yeah, I just, I just, I love, um, I love getting those messages all day, every day that say, hey, you changed my life. I'm back with my husband. I'm back with my wife. I gave up drinking. I'm no longer doing drugs. Firefighter, veteran, New York, City Field comes up to me and says, um, I was going to kill myself. And I didn't pull the trigger because I remember I had a race in a coming week. And I was like, you got races now in every coming week till the end of your life. And it's on us. Um, so, you know, you could look at it if you're a bean counter and maybe somebody at Tough Mudder was a bean counter before we owned them and said, hey, you can't change your name because I don't know what the because was, maybe insurance or this or that. You could certainly look at it with that perspective and say, well, we're not going to make money if we do this or like, I don't know. I, I think I think um, if you do good, it comes back tenfold. So, you know, I, I wish every, every – um, Anybody out there raising funds for a good reason? I'm trying to raise funds. I'm making up stories. I'm trying to raise funds for a, a basketball court uh, for kids um, in an underprivileged place in some city. I'm trying to raise money for my my uh, colleagues at a fire department. You just go down the list, and my feeling is we have you know lots and lots of tickets to any kind of event. Anyway, we'll just give them tickets to to go raise funds. Um, when I was growing up, maybe you remember, we used to sell candy bars as kids to raise money for whatever that thing was. And 
I don't want people buying candy bars. So um, what about using tickets to a Spartan or a Tough Mudder or a DECA or any one of our events to raise money for whatever you're trying to raise money for if you're trying to do good? Uh, it comes back to us tenfold. Um, those, lives get those lives get changed. Maybe they buy a hat and a T-shirt when they're there. I'm sure they bring three friends. Um, and by the way, you know how hard it is to get people to do one of these things, whether they pay or they don't? Like, it's so easy to not do hard every day in our life. We don't even have to get in a car and drive to go get food anymore. It gets delivered to us, right? We don't have to go to a movie. It's delivered to us. We don't have to do anything. And so to convince somebody to crawl under barbed wire, jump over fire, climb a rope, right? Tough sell. Really tough sell. Absolutely. It's funny. When, when I was doing the Tough Mudder, they, the finishing event is normally the electrocution um, obstacle. And I grew up on a farm as well. So there was times where I was like one leg through a fence and got zapped in the bull. So I'm kind of triggered by that. Yeah. And the first time I ran through, it was the one where they were kind of hanging down. Everyone around me got hit. It was like a sniper was out there. And I think they took all the charge and I went through. Beautiful. Wow. So the next time I ran a Tough um, where they had that, the obstacle, if you'd done one before, you could go around that and you did another one. Well, when we got to that particular one, um, that obstacle was wobbly for whatever reason. Like, yeah, sorry, we can't do it. You have to go back through. And I got absolutely nailed by it. So, so yeah, I will always remember the, the electrocution one. But uh, I, lo I love it. I love, um, you know, I love this term like toughening, um, wintering. Um, again, if this, you know, if this was the 1500s, I'd say we need softening, we need more penicillin, but we don't right now. We need, we need um, a harder life um, to change our perspective. At 6.30 this morning, I was helping out a Ukrainian who lost his leg in the last year in, in battle over there, and uh, he really wants a prosthetic uh, for sport. Hard to get. It's got to get fitted. It's not a regular prosthetic. And so I told him, we got you covered. Don't worry. We, we have lots of friends in that community. We'll fly you over to the U.S., and... Um, it changes your perspective. Like this morning, I had all kinds of stuff going on like anybody listening does in their house. And here I was talking to a gentleman who had lost his leg and we're getting him a new you know, prosthetic and it just makes my day easier and better because it changed my perspective. Well, speaking of that, when I was doing some research since we last spoke and trying to make sure I didn't miss any, any kind of interesting tangents, you actually found yourself in the Ukraine. So talk to me about that experience. Yeah, I had some um, some team members over in Slovakia who very early on in the war were using our, our trucks and our warehouse to bring supplies across the border, unbeknownst to me, which is fine. I got a, um, a social post about it, and I posted it here in the U.S., and they attacked me. My own team members attacked me and said, you haven't done anything, Joe. You're sitting over there. We're over here. Why are you posting that? And I said, okay, that's, that's fair. Like, how could I help? And they said, well, every time we cross the border, the folks on the Ukrainian side are asking for bulletproof vests. They need help. They need safety vests. So I said, let me see what I could do. I reached out to some wealthy friends. He said, yeah, whatever you want. My buddy owns Saks Fifth Avenue, funny enough. Another guy who started a company called Tory Burch, very high-end, exclusive, you know, uh, clothing and, and, and things that you don't need. Right. Um, funny that they would uh, step up and awesome that they stepped up 
and wrote the checks, and we gave away a bunch of these bulletproof vests. That led to me being on CNBC talking about it from Ukraine. So then uh, fast forward, and some friends of friends called me. They'd seen me on CNBC and said, look, uh, we've done very well in our lives. We hate what's going on. We, we want to write some big checks, but, but we want to know the money's going to end up where it's supposed to end up. Could you go over to Ukraine and like meet with like some, somehow I ended up over there and it was awesome. And I got to sit with the mayor of Lviv and Klitschko, the mayor of Kiev and, and Zelensky and all these folks. Um, and then we put together through, through my friends who were so kind to write the checks, uh, a 200 vehicle caravan and, um, and using another friend of mine, we, we procured, um, wood stoves, um, night vision, um, uh, boots, uh, you name it, all kinds of things, generators. Um, and we shipped them, we shipped them in through Warsaw. And, um, and I still get pictures today of the units on the front line that are getting their stoves and their sleeping bags and their thermal vision and their night vision. So, um, awesome, uh, three trips over there and, and absolutely awesome. So this is the problem when I put this to all our soldiers that have been in combat. You know, you get a very polarizing view of war. You get the, you know, the one side, kill them all, stack bodies. You get the other side, they're all baby killers. And then you have the people in the middle. What I've seen through, you know, things that I've posted and who's saying what, and there's always, you know, some toxic lean from one or the other, is, you know, there's, there's an anti um, you know, Ukrainian president element, and he was no angel himself, and then you know, the Russians are painting are painted as the enemy, where I would argue most Russian people have no intentions of entering Ukraine in the first place, the regular people. So the important perspective is what's happening. That country has been invaded. Those people are being, you know, murdered at this point. So what were you seeing as far as politics aside? What were the Ukrainian people actually going through? Well, I did not make it to the front lines. So I, I had come up through Warsaw. I was about the furthest in I was about 10 hours in by vehicle. Um, the restaurants were open. The hotels were open. People were extremely um, kind and awesome and um, loved Americans. And I just thought, this is a great place. Like, And is this what war feels like? I mean, there, was, there were a couple of times when we were there when missiles were flying over. Thankfully, uh, they, didn't, they didn't kill anybody. You know, but 70 missiles came over. Um, Ukraine was able to respond to them while they were still in the air. I did, here's a crazy one. I did have dinner at my partner's house outside of Kiev. And he puts on our Spartan races there prior, prior to the war. And um, we went in a banya, which is a, a, you know, a Russian um, sauna. And you get whipped with the leaves. And then we jumped in the cold lake. And he has a beautiful house great setting and we had dinner and we had dessert and coffee and it just was surreal being in a war zone and this was going on. When we left, a drone, a, a Russian drone had come over, got shot down and hit his house right where we had dinner and blew up half the house. And um, thankfully they're okay. But, um, but I guess the point is it can be, I mean, that's what war is. It's very calm and normal and then it's not. And World War II, World War I, probably the same thing, I would imagine. Life went on. It has to. And then it doesn't. Well, speaking of that, I want to get to 
the preparedness of the responder, the military member, and then the pool that we're able to draw from. But before we do, what broke my heart about the pandemic was you have a group of people that come hell or high water, we're going to work out. I'd like to think I was in that group, you know, and we do the, the mud runs and the CrossFits and everything else. But then there's the other side who come hell or high water, they're not going to do any of that. And then you have that middle group that I think is kind of swayed. And a lot of these people have just found their feet and they're working out and they're attending a race a year. And all of a sudden the wind's taken out of their sails. Did you observe any inertia as, as you know, as the wheels started turning again of getting the numbers that you had prior to start attending again? And it's not just an attendance. It's a reflection, I think, on, on the, the motivation of the population. Look, at the end of the day, I don't think people realize that even you and I sitting here, we're pretty motivated people. And, and maybe, you know, a half a percent of people are like us around the world that are just come hell or high water, to your point. But, but even us, our brain, uh, based on our existence on this planet for six million plus years, is designed to avoid discomfort because, because most of the time on the planet, discomfort was a real threat, right? If we went out in the cold, we might freeze to death. If we went outside the cave, we might get eaten by a lion. If we went too close to that cliff, we might fall off. Uh, forgetting about all the energy required for the brain, um, which is which is a threat. Like, hey, if we expend all that energy and we don't have food available to us, that's dangerous. So don't do it. Don't expend energy. Don't push hard. Hard is bad. So our brains are constantly telling us all day, every day, from the moment we wake up to the moment, stay away from that hard stuff, right? It's legacy hardware and software we have. We're programmed this way. Um, going to the gym is the complete opposite. It's it's considered danger. It's hard. Getting outside and run it's, it's you know it's considered danger and hard. So so here we are to your point and we convinced, you know, 10 million people since our inception to rewire their brain and do something hard and and feel good about it when they get to the finish line. And um and then the government comes out and says, uh, "No, don't do that. Stay home. Take it easy." protect yourselves. And and the brain listens for most people because it's like, I don't, I don't want to do that anyway. That water was cold. <laughs> I don't want to be under barbed wire. And so to wake everybody up again and get people going, oh my God, it's been monumental. Remember, I'm doing this 23 years. The first 13 years from 2000 to you know 2013 was a nightmare to get people going. I finally got them going. And then we told them all to go back in the house. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm not complaining. I love what I do. I love the stories, but I do need some help. I do. I cannot do this alone. We cannot do this alone. Absolutely. Well, I just saw as well, you have a new series called The Edge, and you had a gentleman, John Crosby, on talking about overcoming a 30-year addiction um, with the tribalism that he found in in the uh, the Spartan races. So, Talk to me again. You've seen, we talked about in the first episode, some of the amazing kind of mental health stories that you'd heard. What I've witnessed is now there's this ripple effect from all the damage we did the last couple of years. So, you know, talk to me about the community element, the tribal element, because I think that's something that people are kind of searching for something. And I think Spartan, Tough Mudder are some great places to find that community. Well, I mean, we know the science um, has proven that we do better as a species when we're, we're in a pack. We hang, we hang out with people, right? There, there's a community there. 
there's not much of a community in your living room, right? And if you're not going to an office anymore, there's not much of a community there anymore. So um, you might get it at church, but, but the numbers are down at church. You know, people aren't going to church. You might get it at the gym, but the numbers are down in gyms. Um, what's nice about our events is you'll get 7, 10, 12,000 people there on a weekend. And, and, and so you check that box for folks and they feel really good because their, their feet are touching the earth. Their eyes are connecting with other people. They're sweating. There's sunlight. There's all these things that they don't get on a daily basis anymore. Very, very powerful. You know, a lot of folks around the world have said to me, Joe, we got to build a permanent course uh, here or there in South Africa and this backyard. And my answer is, it's great. I'd love to have per, you know permanent courses, but like they don't work. What makes our courses work is the fact that there's 12,000 people there on a weekend. Like just go to a local park and go look at the obstacle course and tell me how many people are using it during the day. Look at a sidewalk where people were meant years ago, they actually walked on sidewalks. They don't do that anymore. Not so, in this state, they don't. Yeah, so, so like... <laughs> So like the community aspect is, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. Without it, we wouldn't exist. I started CrossFit in 07, 06, 07. And uh, it was in a community. It was one of my firefighter friends in Anaheim then. And then I moved back to Florida and I was back to doing main site workouts. And I was at a YMCA and people were looking at me like I'd lost my fucking mind. You know, why is he murdering himself with these random implements? But it wasn't until I joined a CrossFit gym that I found that piece that was missing. And that was, it doesn't matter if you're the world's strongest man or woman or the world's, you know, most, you know, uh, highest level endurance athlete, or you're just a housewife or a firefighter or whatever it is, you all suffer together. And that was the missing part. And I think that's what's so sad again when they try to burn the church down with Greg was look at what, you know, look at what you're a part of. You know, the moment that with this cancel culture, it's like, oh, one person said one thing. And everything with that, it was actually misunderstood in the first place. But it is that very community that we needed. And it was that very community that was shattered in that same time period as well. We had so many things going on in those couple of years. So I saw firsthand doing the exact same workouts but you move those workouts to a sweaty room of other people and it's an entire different conversation and different experience. There's no, there's no doubt about it, right? I go, I go at one level alone. I go at a different level when you show up subconsciously and then all of a sudden you put 20 people in the room and it changes everything. So I, I, I couldn't agree more and, and community is, is a big box that we check for people. Absolutely. Well, my community is the fire service, and we were talking before we hit record. We have a recruitment crisis at the moment, and what really kills me about that is we still run the course. And when I say we, I've been out the fire service for four years. So my brothers and sisters are the ones that at 7 o'clock in the morning are told, you can't go home today. You have to stay another 24 hours, and your 56-hour week now became an 80-hour week. So... Of course, I want you know the the department to actually be fully staffed for the for our ability to respond properly, but also this recruitment issue that we have is hands down contributing to the funerals that, for example, started this podcast in the first place. So talk to me about you know the 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 idea you have joining my community with your community. 
First of all, we could solve uniform services, not just fire department. We could solve uniform services recruitment issues in about 11 seconds in the United States. Um, I think when we think about recruitment for all uniform services, not just fire department, we're hoping the phone rings. We're hoping somebody signs up to become a Marine, right? And I think we're doing it wrong. I think we want to bring people into an event like ours where we know they're the right person with the right mindset because they wouldn't be crawling under barbed wire if they, right, if they weren't. So they're in the right place. They've got the right mindset. They're all at the same place on a weekend. We bring in the fire department. We bring in the EMTs. We bring in the Marines, whoever it is, and we let them mingle there. And we introduce them to what it is to be a firefighter, what it is to be a Marine, what it is to be an EMT. I'd be shocked if we can't convert a bunch of folks. And by the way, we would know in advance that the ideal fire department, uh, fire recruit, fire department recruit, let's say is I'm making, what is it, 22 years old or 19 years old, or I don't know what it is, right? But we could find those kids, those, those boys and girls, uh, those men and women, and uh, we could have the firefighters run with them. And do the, by the time those kids get to the finish line, They'd be getting in the truck and heading right to the fire department to sign up. That's the way you do it, in my opinion. So there's so many elements, I think, that I say could. Like, I've seen it. I am a firefighter, and I did these. But the first one is when you, whether you're preparing to be in uniform or whether you are already in uniform, especially – I was talking to um, – who was it? Oh, Chris today. I'm um, sorry, not Chris. Uh, Chad. Um, Chad Conley. In the Green Berets, they work up for a specific mission. So they have that kind of, you know, um, game season and, and off season. In the first responder professions, we don't. Like for 10, 20, 30 years, you're on this treadmill. And so what I find with, with the races is if you're already in the profession, it gives you something to train for. So you can get that community. You can tell your shift, your station, whatever it is, hey, in four months from now, let's do this event that's going to be in our state. And now you can start training for it. And when you do your PT and maybe you can meet at the park. Well, and I'll, even, I'll even do one better. Imagine you and I saying to every fire department in the U.S. or anywhere, hey, take a couple of hundred entries and, and wrangle your community, right? Get to know your community. By the way, you might be able to find a few folks in there that want to join the fire department. And, and it's on us. Take those tickets and use them. I mean, the bonds that you build doing something hard together and training for that something hard, uh, the fire department would be, be, become even a more integrated part of the community. Well, I think the last time we spoke was that 9-11 initiative that you did that a few years ago. And I know a bunch of people sent me for months after, sent me videos of the races that they'd signed up for. That's awesome. Well, yeah, your whole community, if they want to do an event, it's on us. Tough Mudder, Spartan, DECA, whatever they want, as long as it's hard. And I do want to say to your community, the other thing, this is a fun one, up in Vermont, end of June 2023, so coming up here soon, we just teamed up with Norwich University, which is the oldest military, private military institution in the United States. We're going to have a, a one-and-a-half-day class there, resiliency class. So I'd love folks to come up to the farm, go up the street to Norwich, get their butts kicked in classroom and a little bit outside the classroom, and um, just find out why it's so important to be resilient. And how to be resilient. Where can they find more information on that? It's a great question. Uh, shoot me an email, joe at spartan.com, and just put, um, just put Norwich in the subject line, joe at spartan.com. 
put Norris in the subject line and we'll get you set up for that. But it, but it is a, a, a accredited course. Um, how awesome would it be to be, be on a, you know, a, a military university and take a class on resiliency? So flipping it around, you have the active duty firefighter who gets his team together, which I've done, um, and, you know, run as a team. I think another thing, just to, just as a side note as well, I think there's a misconception that it's a race. And what I love is, yes, wave one, maybe two, there are races. And there's a leaderboard and there's a national, you know, um, ability to be a champion in that sport. But all the other um, heats after that are simply moving through together. And what I absolutely love is I... We used to run with two guys, and we were you know, in pretty good shape and pretty good at the obstacles, but it wasn't you doing the obstacle that was beautiful. It was helping other people over the obstacle. So whether it's like Operation Enduring Warrior with, with um, Monty or the Give Team you know, also helping him, or Drew Stokes is another one that we, we took through, that is the, the humanity element. So you're a, a public servant. You're trying to make the world better. Well, you literally get to feel that, whether you're a potential candidate for those professions or whether you're already in and you're refinding that camaraderie, brotherhood, sisterhood that maybe even is lost in your specific department. No, no, no doubt about it. I, um, I think it's so important uh, that our families, our friends, our communities, we do hard things together, right? You, you, you dust off any, any spider webs that have um, showed up that might be causing friction between people or, cause we do, we do, we do kill each other. <laughs> I mean, think about it, right? We do attack each other. We do talk about each other. We're, we're a crazy species. And, um, but if we could do more hard things together, we get along a lot better. Absolutely. Well, so flipping that around as well, if you had a team of firefighters, for example, at the races, you would then also be front and center because where better to look for potential candidates than, as you said, at a Spartan race. So not only are you maybe running with some people, you're running as a team and people are watching you. You're, fi- you're finding recruits. Yeah. And so. we, would, we would support that 1,000%. We would help. We would help those fire departments um, recruit. Su- super easy for us to send an email. Maybe maybe we don't give anybody their medal at the finish line unless they sign up, become a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to make sure we got the right people there. Um, well, speaking of Chad Conley, so he's got fifty for the fallen. Talk yep. to me about that collab that you've got going on. I just Look, use the word any collab. maniac, um, any maniac, especially military maniac in the world that's doing something crazy that wants to team up with us, we say yes. So, um, so Chad, our, our mutual buddy, um, is, is doing these 50 for the fallen, uh, run hikes. He was doing them uh, all over the country. I said, well, you should always end them at a Spartan race or a tough mutter. So he's been, he's been, um, aligning them with some of our events and folks will start, you know, 45 miles away from the event and they'll hike, jog, run, rock, rock it in and then get there. And some maniacs will actually do the event as well when they get there. So um, he's, he's raising funds. It's an awesome, awesome um, organization. Yeah, and he raises funds wherever he actually does the ruck, a local charity in that area, which is pretty amazing. All right, well then, I want to shift from obstacle racing specifically to leadership. One thing I've talked to quite a few people recently is when there was no better example of the last two years of whether a leader was the right person in that position or whether they were wrong. And this is at national level, local level, et cetera. From an entrepreneur yourself and a leader, you know, in your space, what has been your experience the last few years, which has straddled both sides of the political parties, 
Um, and then, you know, what are some things through your lens that we could do better? What, what do we need to be, you know, pushing for as we come out of this? Again, I think it would be so easy if we're talking about leadership of our country, um, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, like it would be so easy to get everybody rallying around, um, you know, the same mission and feeling better if we just focused on health and wellness, right? Um, you focus on, like, this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous. This will never happen. My dream would be, your dream would be that it happened. But just imagine institu instituting a few policies. What if we, what if lights were out for the whole country at 11 p.m.? And everybody had to go to bed. What? There's nothing good that happens after 11 p.m., right? What if everybody had to get up early and do just 30 burpees, right? What if, what if we shut, I was actually looking this up the other day. What if we shut hot water off across the entire country, Right? And everybody took cold showers. We know they'd be healthier. The carbon footprint change would be unbelievable. I started to look at some of the numbers, right? You could talk about, you know, not eating meat anymore. You could talk about uh, switching over to electric cars. But a huge impact would be just don't take hot showers. Um, what if we tax the hell out of sugary drinks? And Now, I know, you know, half the country would jump up and down and freedom. And I would, I would say, like, I get it, but like, we're not handling our freedom very well. Like, we fight with each other, we overeat, we're sick, we're putting enormous stress on the healthcare system. Do, so, we, do we even have freedom though? Do we really get to have autonomy in what goes in our air, our water, our food? Well, I'm, you'd be a lot, like, listen, if you're healthy and disciplined, you're a lot freer, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So um, you are shackled to uh, maybe, God forbid, your, your hospital bed or your house, right? Or those pills you have to take because you're not taking care of yourself. So like, yeah, I mean, you, if you really want freedom, put down the Slurpee. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, like I said, the last couple of years, there was such a, an amazing potential to um, bolster local farms, like healthy organic foods you know put real food back in schools put bolster uh, PE programs again I mean all these things but we argue about freedom but it seems like those divisive arguments do the very polar opposite of freedom you know freedom would be your young child finds their maximum potential in their body and their mind and we're not set up our environment is set up for people to fail it really is set up if you're an inner city kid I would argue that you're more likely to be pushed towards obesity and inactivity than you are. You and I were very not, lucky. Not even, and grew it's, up not on even farm. it's not even just inner city. I mean, I, I, I in Vermont um, on our farm for 14 years, I remember some of the young kids. We'd never see them. They'd never come outside. I, didn't, I was confused because I had never, I hadn't had kids before. And the last time I was a kid, we were always outside. So I was just completely. My kids were outside. Most kids weren't. Yeah, my son will be running track in about two hours from now, so I've got to go it. and watch him race. But uh, again, that's the, the environment. He was fortunate enough to grow up watching his dad working out, things. being outside, walking the dog, I mean, just doing normal things, I consider. But, you know, I think the problem is, is if we look down our nose at some people that never knew that, that grew up and thinking it was normal to watch TV all day and, you know, not be outside, those are the ones that's the hardest person to kind of, again, break that inertia because that's all they've known. That is their truth in some of these households. Great. So speaking of schools, what about that? If you could be king for a day, how would you change? So easy. Go for it. So easy. I, um, I would go to Google, Facebook, 
all the I would say the top ten highest market capitalized um, you know publicly traded companies in the U.S. U.S. companies obviously I would say you get you get to be there and and in this moment in time it happens to be the apples the Facebooks the Googles you get to be there but uh, for that privilege you must fund all PE in all schools across the country. So that very device you're selling and that attention that you're stealing with that device, you now have to use those funds, a portion of those funds, to um, take care of all PE in all schools Um, so that our school systems stop saying they don't have the funding for physical education. That's what I would do. Two seconds solved. Now, what about the nutrition side? Because as a, a parent, the, nu- the nutrition side, I would, I would have to put. I, if it were me, if I were king for a day, uh, I, my friend ran New York City Schools food program, one point two billion dollar annual budget. He had the greatest intentions, as you and I would have, to put in, you know, whole wheat bread or get rid of uh, sugary drinks or whatever. He couldn't get it done. I said, "Why couldn't you get it done, Eric?" He said, "Because the potato lobbies and the sugary drink lobby." He said, "Coca Cola writes a fifty million dollar check to my school system." Now I can't get rid of what I want to get rid of. And they want the $50 million. So um, you just put some policies in place in government that say you can't do that. You cannot um, mess with our kids. By the way, Coca-Cola, Warren Buffett, you make a fortune. You, you, you sell your ice cream. You sell your junk food. Um, for that privilege, you now got to put healthy food in school. I agree. Hundred percent. I mean, it's nauseating. I, I see the soda machines. And it's funny when my my bonus boy, my stepson, was in the high school that my son is in now. He was like, "Oh yeah, they got rid of all soda in the school." And you go in there, it's all the sugary energy drinks instead. Yeah. Like that's the same exact thing. They just put a new label on it. Still got caffeine. Still got sugar. It's the same shit. Same shit. So yeah. Well then, with the the Spartan universe, what are some of the new things, new ideas that people will be looking for that are coming up? You mentioned um, the Norwich project, for example. Yeah, we look anything hard. Um, we want to be a house of brands. We don't know what's going to tickle your fancy. Uh, it could be a mountain bike race. So we own the, the toughest, most brutal, oldest mountain bike race in the world called La Ruta. Uh, anybody wants to do La Ruta in your, in, you know, and they and they want to go to hell and back in Costa Rica. Let me know. It's in November. Um, we've got M2O, toughest um, paddleboard race in the world in Hawaii. Anybody wants to do that? Um, let us know. Um, we've got the Norwich Project, which is uh, end of June on the farm. We've got DECA, which is um, appealing to those that love uh, the gym, right? We want, it, we want it to appeal to the gym set. So come out and get your DECA mark, which is 10 stations. You're tested for time. You will definitely want to vomit at the finish. It, it's short, but it is painful. Um, we've got uh, Spartan Trail. There's a lot of people don't want to do obstacles, but but they love climbing, hiking, running outside. So we've got Spartan Trail all over the world. Uh, we've got Spartan. We've got Tough Mudder. And and I feel like I've missed something in there. But um, but anyway, if it's hard, we're doing it. Now, I touched on Monty just before I go to some closing questions. Um, Highlander. Highlander is hiking. Brutal um, 60 to 100-mile hike um, as a community. They're stopping along the way. They're setting up their tents. Um, it's called Highlander Adventure. Incredible. Beautiful. I haven't heard of that one. So I'll write yeah. it down. Thank you. So Monty is currently 96 and still doing Spartan races. I actually ended up sharing a few videos recently. One was a 
lady, 102 year old woman who was the, I think it was like a 400 meter champion. There was a 98 year old man in France who just ran a marathon. So we talked about the youth and the, the uniform professions. Talk to me about longevity. What are some of the stories that you've heard of the, the other side of this timeline? Well, I mean, all the science shows that um, we have to remain active. We have to remain strong if we want to be on the planet for a while. You don't want to be the person with the largest biceps in a cemetery. Like I think we somewhere along the way we lost our way, which is um, let's let's overindulge on protein. Let's build um, massive bodies that are taxing uh, all our organs, and uh, that's not healthy. So um, so this optimal zone uh, is it's proving out uh, that the science is showing is like a, a fitter. You know, more more gray not greyhound. Uh, give me give me a dog that would that would match this. Uh, like this, a German Shepherd. Yeah, exactly, an endurance Shepherd. There you go. Um, as opposed to a you know a giant pit bull, or or um, or a greyhound, and so um, so look, we all need to be inspired to to stay on that fitness journey. And I, I got a lot of friends that are 75, 80 years old, and they're home alone. And so you, a guy like Monty gets to come out again and see that community and have a reason. We need a reason. When you and I are 90, said we need a reason. And, and, um, and this provides the reason. This is basically, um, it's a basically a healthy Disney experience, right? Absolutely. I want to have a theme park here in, um, in Lake Nona. I want to put in a theme park over the next three, four years. We're going to work on that. I'm envisioning a barracks um, people could stay overnight uh, and get that full experience. Beautiful. Yeah. You came to the right city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would, it would be the antithesis of uh, Disney Universal. Now, with that mindset as well, my, my grandmother just passed away and she was basically 105. Yeah, 105. She was like four weeks away. And then my granddad died of cancer at 99. He would have lived a lot longer otherwise. So when you look at, like I'm 49 now, our kind of age there's a lot of people that see that as like, well, you know, I'm over the hill now. That's why I've got all these meds. And I saw that as a paramedic. How do we shift that mindset of the perceived, not only length of, of a lifeline, but also the quality of life? Because we seem to have lost that kind of wisdom, elder element in modern society. It's not lifespan. It's health span, right? How long are you healthy? Are you healthy till you're 75 and then drop dead? That's that's great. But if But if you're healthy till you're 50 and then you're spending 25 years in and out of hospitals that's not much of a life so um like it's, it's easy it's easy drink more water eat more salad and exercise more it's so fucking easy i i don't you don't want to do it because you've got that legacy hardware just like i do that legacy hardware and software and your brain is telling you to drink coffee in the morning instead of work out and read the news and scroll through social media instead of working out I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Problem is you can't get rich from that. That's the thing. So there's a lot of, a lot of people that are, that's the thing, that's it. That's one, one of the solutions I've talked about a lot. Just do what your great-grandparents did. And you're that's probably it. 90% of the way there. All right. Well, I'd love to throw some closing questions at you before I let you go. Um, the first one I'd love to ask, and I did ask you about four years ago now, so it'd be interesting to see if it was the same answers. The first one, are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. You got to read Shackleton's book, right? I don't know if I mentioned that four years ago or not, The Endurance. You got to read Adrift. I think the author, if I remember correctly, Stephen Callahan. And um, I like Shogun. 
Yep, same ones. So there we go. It hasn't changed because <laughs> Shogun's one of the few fictions I've read, and I'm actually yep. writing a fiction now. So I literally, that's about one of the ones I'm pulling from. But that is an amazing, amazing book. Amazing book. All right, what about films and or documentaries? I mean, I love Rocky. Um, oh God, I'm going to seem so boring here. I love um, I love Rocky. What's my favorite documentary? I mean, there's so many great. Um, documentaries Forks Over Knives um, is a great one um, what other great move oh Batman Begins so Forks Over Knives obviously is pushing the plant based yeah. not, not narrative that's the wrong way to say it the plant based movement um, I I agree with a lot of what they're talking about I went plant based for it was about six months. Um, really enjoyed it, but I ended up kind of shifting back to some clean. I, listen, meat. I ate two hamburgers last night. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, um, I am mostly veggies. I'm mostly veggies. I, if that's a diet, yeah, but right? it's an omnivore diet, really. Yeah, and there, I so. and I eat a ton. I love salad, and the salad I eat, which I think is game changing for anybody, if if you can if you could deal with these ingredients, and I eat it every single night, is uh, is cucumbers, red onion. Black olives, apple cider vinegar, olive oil. I eat it every night. Um, change it would change your life. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, it's hydrating. Love- it's loaded with minerals. Um, it's it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Is if you look at all these different diet, you know, I want to say fads, but diet philosophies, the common denominator is usually just removing the processed shit. If you go in carnivore, if you go in vegan, you know that's the that's the common denominator. Yeah, they'll murder each other over there, (laughs) not agreeing with each other. But to me, the truth in the middle. Yeah, the Venn diagram. They get rid of processed shit. Exactly. All right. Next question: Is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? You know, one of my favorite people. I mean, obviously Kelly Starrett. You know, and Juliet. Kelly and Juliet are great. I love um, Gabby Reese and Laird. Gabby, Gabby should be president of the United States. She's she's so awesome. Um, I mean, I've I've had I think seven hundred guests, so I, my brain is fried for who. But everybody's great. That's um, that believes in what you and I believe in, and, and getting people healthy. Beautiful. When we did the first conversation, I never followed up with you. There was a gentleman, James Bins. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, sh- you should definitely have Jimmy so on the podcast. Let's make that happen for yeah. Gabby. Actually, yeah. I've got some mutual friends, so she's someone I want to get on as well. So yeah. I'm going to work on that. Brilliant. All right. Well, then the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find all the Spartan things we've discussed. What do you do to decompress? Uh, last night I watched um, 25 minutes of uh, whatever the, the prequel is for Yellowstone. So I tend to um, watch something for 20, 25 minutes, put the computer down, pass out. Beautiful. That's it. There was a, a show I just watched on Netflix, and it was called Beef, Ali Wong. Oh, is it good? One of the best pieces of television I've seen in a really? long time. Oh, really? Beef. Amazing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it starts with this road rage incident, and it just takes you on this bizarre ride over like 10 episodes. So. Check out, um, there's a movie I caught on a plane. I love to watch movies on planes. Um, uh, the Triangle of Sadness. Brilliant. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, it, it somehow it missed, uh, Woody Harrelson's in it. Um, you, you'll appreciate it. There's some British accents in there. <laughs> and um, it, it really shows you the human condition from 50,000 feet and how silly we are. Brilliant. So does yeah. this, actually. So you'll probably enjoy this, too. Yeah. 
All right. Well, then the very last thing, if people want to find the world of Spartan or yourself online, where are the best places? I mean, you can go on Instagram and TikTok and all those places, but just shoot me an email, joe at spartan.com. Put, um, like I said before, Norwich or maybe throw firefighter in there. I'll know, I'll know where it's coming from. Happy to get you an entry to something hard and, um, change your life. Beautiful. Well, Joe, I want to say thank you. The thank first you. time we did it over Zoom, second time face to face. So I appreciate your time. You're the man. Thanks for having me. 